1: And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends
2: Collection. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Couric, here to let you know that my podcast, Next Question with me, Katie Couric, is back for its second season. I'll be diving into some big issues like this country's devastating maternal mortality rate, the rise of astrology, and a little thing called the presidential election. Listen to Next Question. It comes out every Thursday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows.
3: Hey, this is Bridget. And this is Emily. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. And today, if I sound a little deadpan, it's in honor of one of my favorite fictional feminists, Daria Morgendorfer. If you listen to our episode on Lisa Simpson, you're a little familiar with this series that we're doing that we're calling Fictional Feminists, exploring all the lovely women that have made us the feminists that we are from popular culture.
4: And I will have to be the first to admit, confession here, I never really got Daria.
3: (gasps) Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) How
4: can that be? I don't know. I just, I mean, I love... And we're going to talk through all the ways in which Daria was so emblematic of the 90s, because I think she really was the feminist that MTV needed at the time that they put her on air. But I just, I could never get into the deadpan thing, probably because... I care about all the things. So I've always been, like, overly intense in my style
3: of living. and I'm much more of a Lisa than a Daria. Okay, so you're, you're the Lisa to my Daria. Exactly. I, mean, I don't know that I identify with Daria's kind of apathetic side, but that's what we're going to unpack today, that while she comes off as seeming apathetic and cynical, actually that masks a very hopeful worldview that actually cares quite a bit about the world around her. Right.
4: And I think at the end of the day, it was all about representation. Like, it's important that women like Daria get screen time. It's important that we see women who aren't all rainbows and butterflies all the time as being cool, like, and okay. And, like, that kind of a woman should be allowed to exist, too.
3: Absolutely. I'm glad that you brought that up because on our episode about Lisa Simpson, it really does come up that people need to see representations of who they are on screen. Otherwise it leads them to feeling like their lived experiences aren't really valid.
4: Exactly. And as we mentioned in the Lisa Simpson episode, even among the top grossing G-rated family films... Girl characters are outnumbered by boys three to one, according to the Gina Davis Institute. And that ratio has existed and stagnated since the end of
3: World War II. Wow. Well, that actually really jibes with how Daria even came to be in the first place. Um, you may think of Daria as this quintessential iconic show from your adolescence, if you're anything like me and maybe not like Emily. But <laughs> the only reason that Daria is even here is because of Beavis and Butthead.
4: Beavis and Butthead. I was surprised to learn that in researching for this episode, because Beavis and Butthead are like the antithesis of
3: feminist icons. They absolutely are. So I actually grew up watching Beavis and Butthead quite a bit. I, I really, even though it's, I mean, it's certainly not a feminist show, but Daria was a side character that went to high school with Beavis and Butthead, and she kind of meant to be the feminist foil to these two knuckleheads who did nothing but talk about gross things yeah. and, you know, uh, doing dumb things all day long. <laughs> she was often sort of tortured by them, and the reason why she had her own show on MTV is because... Beavis and Budhead, while it was wildly successful with boys, surprisingly, it wasn't really that popular with girls.
4: It seemed like MTV was really struggling at that time to capture a young female audience. And that was back in the day when they were still playing actual music videos on there. <laughs> and I actually have to say that I didn't have cable, right? So I was the... We had the um antenna-type TV
0: situation. Rabbit so ears.
4: I wasn't consciously resisting Beavis and Butthead or MTV. It just wasn't accessible to me at the time. And had it been, I think that when Daria debuted uh, on March 3rd, 1997... I might have tuned in because she really did encapsulate the angsty teenage experience unlike any show I've ever seen. I have to give her credit there.
3: I'm so glad that you said that because in this time where I think things that are retro and throwbacky and all things grunge are sort of having a resurgence. It's really kind of interesting to think about Daria as representing a lot of the ideology from that time. I'm talking about things like calling out corporatism and capitalism and consumer driven teens, things like that. The nineties was all about securing that culture, and I think nobody did it better or more sardonically than Daria. It's so true. It was like the teenage
4: it like smells like Teen Spirit, right? It had Nirvana era imbued into it. Nirvana era rebellion yeah. against like the the corporate overlords, sort of imbued in everything that was going on in that show.
3: If you even want to talk about the opening song, the lyrics go, This is my stop, gotta get off, I'm a go pop, excuse me. I've got to be direct. If I'm wrong, please correct. You're standing on my neck. You look right through me. Say I'm gloomy. Yeah, so sue me. Excuse me. (laughs) I
4: love it. It really kind of feels like that like bust out the ball chain necklace, gothic meets apathetic teen angst
3: story. Definitely. So I love the idea that the reason why Daria came to be this feminist cartoon hero for so many women is really because of the lack of women watching Beavis and Butthead. Tracy Grandstaff, who is the voice of Daria, talks a lot about this in this really, really great piece called The Oral History of Daria from Vice. She says... MTV was going through a phase where they were getting a lot of flack for not really representing women on air outside of spring break. Remember those sh- those Ugh. spring break shows where it was like girls in bikinis dancing on the pool? Yeah, like wet t-shirt contest, basically. How did that even get on TV? I don't know, but all I know is I would watch it as a teenager and I would want to go to spring break so badly. Right! It's like, who are
4: these spring breakers? Is that what spring break is? It's like all
3: it is, it's like dancing <laughs> on a pool.
4: With like live pop performances happening on Miami Beach or something. Ugh. I missed the boat on that one. That yes. was not what my spring break looked like. Same. In that same piece from Vice, the show's co-creator, Glenn Eichler, agreed with Tracy Grandstaff and pointed out that the only other women-centered show that MTV had, aside from spring break, if you can even call it that, was called Aeon Flux, and it was a superhero wearing like 3 inches of cloth as her entire outfit. They couldn't have guessed more incorrectly about what young women wanted to watch.
3: See, I actually watched Aeon Flux as well, but that's because I'm a weirdo and honestly if it's a cartoon, I have to watch it. I'm I'm so cartoon obsessed. If it's a cartoon, Well, you were read
4: in on the MTV sort of 90s scene, it sounds like. But they were trying to basically persuade more women to... You were already a Beavis and Butthead viewer. Like, of course they captured you. But to expand their base, which they successfully did with Daria, they were going to have to give us a more complex and nuanced character.
3: Yeah, Aeon Flux was a great show, but it certainly was not like a nuanced depiction of womanhood on screen. Not at all, right? And so that's why I'm so glad MTV actually thought about, hey... What is it that women and young girls actually want to be watching? How can we actually reflect their stories on screen in a way that's authentic, in a way that shows the kind of things they might be grappling with? And so I'm so happy they landed on Daria, even after a few failed attempts.
4: It sounds like the partnership behind Daria is really what made it so magical, too. Which sounds a little familiar to
3: me. It does sound a little bit familiar. So basically, we have these two creative powerhouses, Susie Lewis-Lynn and Glenn Eichler. Glenn cut his teeth at Harvard's Lampoon, which is like a satirical, onion-style, very famous comedy newspaper out of Harvard.
4: And Susie Lewis, his co-creator, spent her days at Temple University doodling MTV logos on notebooks until a classmate suggested she get an internship at the network. Her street smarts and pop culture knowledge combined really beautifully with Glenn's sort of book smarts in this dynamic way that was not dissimilar to that of Daria and her best friend, Jane Lane. Do you know what else It's not
3: very dissimilar from? Oh, what could that be? Our creative partnership. I
4: couldn't agree more. When I read that, I my jaw hit the ground. I was like, oh,
3: that's part of what makes Mindy so magical. That's right. The The, the merging of these two different worlds. I love it. Something else that was really interesting about how these two work together is that at the time, most shows at MTV had one creator or one creative powerhouse, and this show brought together two, which is a little bit unusual at the time.
4: Huh. And I I guess it makes sense when you really think about the combination of things that were happening on the show Daria. There was a lot of sort of social commentary, big picture thinking about the world at large, combined with this sort of hipness being read in on the trends of the time and sort of knowing the lingo from Susie,
3: who was much closer in age to the actual characters of the show than her co-creator. Exactly. So something else that I find really fascinating about how the show kind of came together is that Tracy Grandstaff, who you think of as that iconic deadpan Daria voice, like who else could be Daria? She really kind of fell into that role because she was the only female writer on the show Beavis and Butthead. And so she kind of got pigeonholed into being the voice of Daria, which you think of who else could be that voice? That voice is so iconic. But she just sort of got the role because she was there. Which is actually a sad state of affairs if you think about representation in the writer's
4: room. Like... That's not how it should be, but I'm glad that it took off and that she got more
3: credit for filling in as the only woman around. Absolutely. So Grand Staff goes on to talk about, in this Vice piece, how Daria was really inspired by all these sort of iconic deadpan women. Folks like Janine Garofalo, who I am obsessed with.
4: I think she's like an ad- a grown-up Daria. She is a grown-up with Daria. With her glasses and everything, actually, right?
3: Actually, so I, fun fact, I have the box DVD set of Daria, and in the, you know, what do you call it, like, um... The, like, booklet the that booklet, comes with it? The there's booklet. A, there's a piece by Janine Garofalo where she talks about how a lot of people think that she does the voice, but she doesn't. And right. so people will be like, oh, Janine Garofalo voiced Daria, and she's like, actually, I didn't. People think that all the time. She is such a deadpan, pan, sardonic, salty woman, right? Yes. I one of my favorite <laughs> Janine Garofalo bit roles is in the movie The Cable Guy. She's the sarcastic medieval times waitress. <laughs> Go back and watch the cable guy. I she's think only I remember
4: the, that. She's scene, only in the actually. movie for like three minutes, which oh, is amazing.
3: Oh, that's funny.
4: And and I also found it interesting, man, this makes me feel old thinking back to like mid to late 90s. But the other character on TV that sort of inspired the deadpan, sardonic Daria was actually Sarah Gilbert, the daughter in the show Roseanne. Who was like constantly and begrudgingly talking in that low monotone voice and was like perpetually angsty. And you know what? Sarah Gilbert's character in Roseanne was named Darlene, which I, I didn't even put together until this second. That
3: has, that can't be a coincidence. They're too similar.
4: Daria and Darlene. Both yeah. of them
3: had perky popular sisters who were sort of narcissistic and boy obsessed oh, yeah, and made great foils for them as kind of sardonic, you know, outsider. Yeah, like
4: the anti-female role of, of high school popularity. It was Becky, right? Becky was Darlene's sister. Yeah.
3: And Daria's sister. Quinn. Quinn. Quinn Morgendorfer, fashion club member. (laughs) So Daria went on to be very, very successful for MTV. It's the longest running show to come out of MTV's entire animation department. And by 1998, it was one of MTV's most highest rated shows.
4: And one of the reasons that I think the show was so successful was the fact that there were tons of women on the creative team, not... Like Beavis and Butthead, there was only one woman in the writer's room. The, the fact that this creative team was chock full of talented women was a rarity for the times, but I think also why the, the show resonated so much with their audience. And they were going for a young female audience and they, they hit it out of the park.
3: Totally. And what's so sad, as much as I love that, it's still sort of an anomaly today. of TV shows still have no female writers on staff in 2015. That's correct. And from 2015 to 2016, a study from San Diego State University found that only 26% of creative professionals on television shows were women.
4: So if the TV networks are listening and you want to capture a young female audience, what should they do, Bridget?
3: Hire women. Hire (laughs) women directors, women producers, women voice talent, women everything. Women from the top to the bottom, Women. I feel like we're also in that moment in Hollywood right
4: now where people are like, what should we do to curb this rampant sexism and assault in the industry? I don't know. Hire more women? Uh, promote more women? Put women in charge of shit. Like, until women have been scandalizing industries left and right, maybe we should give them a shot.
3: I mean, this is, I will talk all day, don't <laughs> let me go off the rails. But even beyond that, aren't we kind of sick of... The same old stories and the same old movies and the same old shows coming from men. Like, Mm -hmm. when are we going to realize that there's more, there's more room for different kinds of stories? So I completely agree with you that if you want to think about how we might combat a culture that normalizes sexual harassment and assault when it comes to the entertainment industry, having more women around is a great idea in terms of having them at high level decision making, you know, places. But also just in terms of a diversity of storytelling, aren't we a little sick of like, Wes Anderson dealing with nostalgia cuz i fe- i feel like we give men so much room to tell their stories and that when anyone who is not a cis man tells their stories it's in some sort of special category you know so even if it's a good story it's a chick flick or it's a, a lady movie you know-
4: figured that out and gave the most amazing speech that I've ever heard on this is Reese Witherspoon, who created her own production company and had some of the three highest grossing films last year when she produced stories that were plucked out of the literary world by female authors.
3: And look at the success of Big Little Lies. I mean, you even saw male critics bashing the show as being, oh, this is a, a, a like a sappy soap opera for women and really Are sort of missing the fact kidding? that authentic and nuanced characters are women.
4: It's the right thing to do from a a diversity and inclusion standpoint but it's also the practical and best thing to do from a creative business
3: standpoint. Hello,
4: like there are better stories to be told. Let's give more folks the mic.
3: And like how many times do we need to see the same story about your father issues, male directors? (laughs) We get it. Father issues, we get it.
4: Paging Woody Allen. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break. let take a break. And, and, and talk about how great Daria
3: is. Yeah, we've out. gone off the rails. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll dive more into Daria.
0: Okay, so a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that
1: 95% of women don't feel great about their hair. I can definitely relate to the confidence part because... And
0: Sundays on NBC, watch it live. There's sure to be big twists and huge surprises.
1: So you'll want to enjoy your Good Girls experience in a spoiler-free zone. The all-new,
0: all-hilarious season of Good Girls, Sundays on NBC and stream anytime.
3: And we're back. And we were just talking about why people connect so much with Daria. We were. And one of the reasons that we talked about just a little while ago was the fact that There were so many women involved in the creative process of Daria, and I think that's what really enabled her to be such an authentic character.
4: Yeah, and I think this quote from Eichler in The Vice piece also underscores Daria's position in the world as an outsider as being so relatable and just striking such a chord, especially with 90s angsty teens. He said, apparently everyone, with the exception of a very few people who were hit on the head when they were very young, felt like they were outsiders. You either identify with her as an outsider, or you sort of envy her ability to navigate her life as an outsider and stay sane. And for me, wasn't school. School just that like middle school and high school made everybody feel like they didn't belong and it was this psychological test for like how to deal in your world when your own identity is shifting and you don't know you know who you belong with and what
3: clicks you're in or out.
4: It just felt very angsty.
3: Yeah, and I think even people who remember high school as being a happy time or were really popular in high school, even those kinds of students, I think would probably report feeling like an outsider at some point, because high school is a minefield of navigating all of these weird social and class and racial and gender politics that you haven't even fully figured out how to grapple with yet. And it's such a heightened thing all the time.
4: Yeah, and so Daria positioned as the outsider felt like an underdog you could really get on board with.
3: Totally. I know that when I was growing up, I mean, I wouldn't call myself a Daria in high school. I wasn't a super popular person, but I went to a pretty small high school. So, you know, you could be, no one was really popular, if that makes sense. But yeah, I mean, I remember feeling like an outsider. In my high school, you kind of had multiple kinds of people. You either were kind of a Susie high school and you sort of were, you did all the things and you, everyone loved you and you were like Little Miss Perfect, or you were someone else, right? And you yeah. were sort of figuring it out. And yeah. I was solidly not Susie High School. But here's the thing. Like, when you and I were in Richmond recently on a trip, I actually stopped by my old high school. I think we should
4: name it. When we were keynoting the Capital One Women's Conference. Yeah, I remember that trip. So
3: after that trip, I realized, hey, I'm pretty close to my old high school. Shout out to Sinker Gertrude High School. I stopped by and talked to some students. And the thing that I wanted to kind of impart on them was, listen... I think of myself as a pretty successful person. I'm doing okay in life. I have a pretty happy and productive life. I just keynoted the Capital One Women's Leadership Conference. Right, exactly. But I wasn't always Susie High School, and I figured it out. And I feel like when you're young, you feel like if you aren't nailing it in high school and that you don't have it all figured out from a young age, your life is going to be <laughs> forever, yeah. and you'll never be successful or happy or popular or well-adjusted. Right. And I just wanted to, t- to let them know that you don't have to be, you know... Susie, high school cheerleader. Who is the
4: Susie person? You keep. I'm thinking about? of a very
3: specific person from my high school. Her <laughs> name is actually Susie. No. <laughs> so in my mind, I'm, like, I'm oh, thinking Susie. of the character
4: from Election.
3: You oh, Tracy that?
4: Flick. Yeah. <laughs> oh.
3: But yeah, I mean, I think it was important for me to see Daria as someone who didn't have it all figured out, wasn't super into the whole high school vibe, but you got the sense that she was going to be okay.
4: Exactly, and Daria really. spoke speaks to that imperfect, unsatisfied, kind of unsettled vibe. In 1999, the New York Times described Daria as a blend of Dorothy Parker, Fran Lebowitz, and Janine Garofalo wearing Carrie Donovan's glasses. Daria Morgendorfer, 16 and cursed with a functioning brain, has the misfortune to see high school, her family, and her life for exactly what they are and the temerity to comment on it.
3: Well, that's what I think makes Daria so great is that she calls stuff like she sees it. Yeah, She doesn't put on this veneer of, you know, smiling all the time and being really cheery about stuff if it's actually depressing. Well,
4: in fact, she actually, there's a line in an episode when her mom asks her to show her class photo, because her sister, Quinn, of course, took the perfect class photo. Daria takes the photo out of her backpack, throws it on the kitchen table, and it's her deadpan, totally not smiling, of course. And her mom says... Daria, when are you going to just smile for a photo? You know, the world judges you by how they see you in photos like this. And Daria says, I fundamentally disagree with that premise. You know, like she says, like, yes, I'm aware of that. And I fundamentally disagree with it. Oh my like, god, oh, Daria. <laughs> I just
3: remembered something horribly embarrassing from high school, which is that I declined to have my senior portraits taken because all my classmates were getting their senior portraits taken at these studios. And it was very, very polished and professional. And you wore you had to wear pearls and like a black drape across your shoulders and it was a very specific look. And I declined. And my mom was like, What do you mean you're not gonna do it? And I said, I'm opting out of that culture. Ah! I didn't want to do it. But then here's the oh, real little Bridget, kicker.
4: Little Bridget. Yeah, I was, I was, you.
3: I was wokelet. I was, I was yeah, a, a baby wokelet. It's like no pearls for me. No pearls for me. But then here's the kicker. Here's what a sellout I actually ended up being oh, no. is that my mom was like, are you, you're going to regret this. All your friends are getting their pictures taken. I was like, no, I'm not going to regret it. She was actually right. I ended up. Really being like, oh, well, I want my picture in the yearbook. Mm -hmm. Then I realized I was going to have one of those note, like not pictured things. And I was like, don't want that. So I ended up recreating a, like in the jankiest way possible (laughs) in my high school gym. And I'll put the photo in the show notes because I have my high school yearbook. It's I'm holding a towel across my shoulders as if it's one of those professional <laughs> drapes, and my friend is just taking the picture in the gym. Oh my god. So that's
4: I, I think it's a much better story. <laughs> you got a great story out of it. I mean, yeah, and it's, it's like I thought I was going to be this like you were a conscientious objector and then you regretted your objection. But
3: that's so that's so Daria, right? What I love yeah. about Daria is that she often does take these principled stances, but then realizes her own feelings are much more nuanced. It's not just black or white where I don't want to contribute to this sort of shallow high school culture, sometimes she finds herself actually feeling Mm -hmm. a little bit conflicted, and she has to wonder what that means about her.
4: Right, she calls out the culture for being shallow, and then is tormented by her desire to actually, like, get on board with it.
3: Exactly. But I think that thing that you just shared about the photo with Daria really comes back to this idea of likability. I mean, as women, we're often told that we have to be likable above anything else. And so, if you're having a bad day, if you're pissed off, if you're not smiling, if you're not happy, then that means something bad about you. And I think Daria really pushed back against this idea that women have to be likable all the time.
4: Exactly. In fact, you know who has some really powerful things to say about that was Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie at an event for Girls Right Now. She told the young girls about the power of forgetting about likability. She said, quote, I think that what our society teaches young girls, and I think it's also something that's quite difficult for even older women and self-professed feminists to shrug off, is this idea that likability is an essential part of you, of the space you occupy in the world, that you're supposed to twist yourself into shapes to make yourself likable, that you're supposed to hold back sometimes, pull back, and don't quite say, don't be too pushy, because you have to be likable. And Daria is the antithesis of
3: that. She's the antithesis of it, and she makes it okay to not be likable. Listen, even if you're a cheery, happy person, nobody is likable and happy and smiling all the time. And I think it was especially important that young girls saw that Daria was sarcastic sometimes and was biting sometimes and was pissy sometimes and all of that, because that's reality.
4: Yeah, and I think in today's culture of, you know, Pinterest perfection, as we've discussed, that's an even more relevant role model for us, which is it's okay to have opinions that aren't the best. Like, it's okay to have unpopular opinions. It's okay to have something to say that not everybody's going to agree with, despite what sometimes the world thinks. Because I particularly love airing my disagreement with people when it serves a purpose for me. Like, it, it definitely takes some energy of your limited resources to to disagree with someone. But if I think someone's being gross on Facebook, I'm going to tell them they're being gross on Facebook. Or if I think a comment was, like, off, I'm going to ask them what they mean by that. And I'm going to be disagreeable sometimes if I'm having a bad day. And, like, the world can deal with it.
3: But that's the thing. We've been taught that the world can't deal with it. We've right. been taught that as women we have to... Be pretty happy, smiley cheerleaders yeah. all the time. And that if we, God forbid, express that disagreeable yeah, opinion, yeah, the world's going to come yeah. to an end.
4: I love that phrase, though, deal with it. When I was first dating Brad, I was like, this is my opinion. Deal with it. Yeah. Like, this is how I feel. It's not rainbows and butterflies. Like, deal with it. And I just feel like Daria was never afraid to be real and to be cutting and to have commentary that was edgy and disagreeable and the world didn't always deal with it very well they were frustrated by her right like they labeled her as depressed or dark or sardonic and she didn't really feel that way about herself
3: exactly so that's something that I really really love about the show is that basically at least in my mind the show makes the point that listen if you're a young girl trying to figure out in high school and you're honest and sometimes disagreeable and not always the happiest that's okay here's the thing it might be tough for you sometimes. Mm. Your classmates might not get you. Your family might not get you. (laughs) You might have a little bit of a hard time figuring it out in school, and that's okay. But if you stick it out, ultimately things will fall into place. And that's what I love about Daria is that she wasn't just a bummer for the sake of being a bummer because she was a, a downer. She actually, you see her character grow and develop in a way that, frankly, you actually don't see cartoon characters, particularly women, do on TV very often.
4: Well, and it was a long-running show, right? So they kind of had the creative choice to make, which is, should we keep her in this moment in time forever? Or should we show her evolution? And they clearly opted for the latter.
3: Exactly. When you look at her infatuation she had with her best friend Jane's brother, there's an episode where she realizes, hey, this guy is really cute and really cool, but his slacker ways will never, you know, work for me. There's an episode called Jane's Addiction where Trent has volunteered to help her and Jane out with a school project and totally drops the ball in flakes. And she realizes, hey, I may be apathetic, but this guy can't. Commit to doing anything, even if it's to help his sister. And so, again, sort of like Lisa Simpson with her crush on Nelson, um, (laughs) which I think we got into in our Lisa Simpson episode. Yeah, yeah. She realizes that this this crush that she's been holding for a long time, she outgrows it.
4: It also shows that Daria isn't actually apathetic. It shows that she does care. In fact, she cares so much that she'll call BS when she sees it. But, like, she's not disengaged completely. You know what I mean? She's not, She has morals. She has values. And when this guy drops the ball, you know, she's not here for it. And she makes that clear, which I like. Because it's sort of like a crystallizing moment of her morale being put front and center.
3: And I think you see that a lot in the fact that throughout the show, Daria is this seemingly apathetic person who, who doesn't really care about school and doesn't want to even play the game up at the end of the show's run she's actually the valedictorian giving a great speech at graduation
2: right stand firm for what you believe in until and unless logic and experience prove you wrong remember when the emperor looks naked the emperor is naked the truth and a lie are not sort of the same thing and there's no aspect no facet no moment of life that can't be improved with pizza thank you
4: I love that. So good.
2: I would vote for Daria.
3: I would vote for her. Well, that Put was her, her in Lisa's d- cabinet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> so ultimately, I think you hear that in her speech, right? That even though she comes off as this deadpan, apathetic person, actually, she has the bravery to see the world for what it is and to be skeptical about the world and to be hopeful about the world.
4: Right, which is a very complex duality that doesn't get written into very many cartoons, m- might I add. Not to, like, dig on cartoons, but just characters in general. She is nuanced. She is balancing this cutting social commentary with somehow hope for a better tomorrow.
3: Exactly, exactly. And even though Daria clearly has a complicated relationship with her family, particularly her mom and her sister, you actually see that same hope with how she thinks about her family. There's a great episode called Right Where It Hurts, where she writes an essay about her family, what they're going to be like in the future. And she's really struggling with this essay coming together. And her mom says, you know, Daria, maybe you should try, instead of describing what you see, think about how you want things to be. And so this is someone who... Doesn't really get along with her parents, her sister is kind of a nightmare to her, and she reimagines what their relationship's going to look like 10 years down the line. So in her reimagining, her sister, who has been this narcissistic, popular, self-obsessed little nightmare, actually channels all of this self-obsession into being a really, really kick-ass mom of like four kids. Her parents are retired, and she herself has continued to sort of be this outspoken activist, writing columns for the paper about all the topics and all the ideals that she talked about in High school. And she's married to a teacher, which is kind of an interesting choice for someone who seems to not really dig school that much.
4: Exactly. And I think this example is a small one of many that show that the so-called misery chick that is Daria is not really a character about cynicism, but hope. In Salon, uh Arielle Bernstein writes this piece called Reassessing Daria, the legacy of MTV's deadpan misery chick. She writes that her cynicism worked not because she was a quintessentially angsty teen, But because of how principled her character was, Daria's clever quips were less about being jaded than about outright rebellion, a refusal to give in to a shallow, appearance-obsessed culture. That is like the 90s, right? This is the rise of Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, and Daria.
3: It is. And I think calling these things out and thinking about how they can be better or reimagining them in ways that aren't so tragic for Daria, I think it's what the show is all about. And I think that also has a lot to do with how the show deals with her social and political opinions, which I want to dive back into after this quick break.
0: Okay, so a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that 95% of women don't
1: feel great about their hair. I can definitely relate to the confidence part because...
3: Daria and her political and social beliefs. So in comparison to one of our other favorite fictional feminists, Lisa Simpson, you know, Lisa is an explicit activist. She's out there in the streets. Daria's political views are a little bit more subtle. She does a lot of subtle critiques of culture, whether it's consumerism, capitalism, the education system, the media, all of that. Daria would have killed it on Twitter. Oh, my God. She, I would you love to mean? follow Daria.
4: I need there to be a Daria Twitter Is
3: handle. there a Daria? There, there has to be a Daria parody account. <laughs> if not, and if they're there not, should be. There will be soon, and it's going to be me behind the helm. Don't tell anybody. It's okay, going to be me.
4: <laughs> it's our little secret, Sminty listeners.
3: <laughs> I think you see this a lot in the show within a show that Jane and Daria are obsessed with. Six Ad World, right? Like, the show that was always <laughs> showing all of the ridiculous things and culture, and honestly, it really does foreshadow the rise of like clickbait media and clickbait journalism, all these over-the-top hard-to-believe stories that you sort of lose yourself in. Yeah. That's one tiny aspect of Daria's cultural literacy that I always loved.
4: Right. And it was like if it bleeds, it leads type journalism, right? And having that in the background, Daria was the social commentator who would have killed it on Twitter had Twitter been around, but instead she just had these brilliant
3: quips in the halls of her high school. And if you remember Six Ed World, here's what it sounds like.
2: Are fish using our oceans as their own private toilets? A Six Ed World exclusive right after this.
3: What? You get the idea. There's one that I think of all the time. Are fish using your drinking water as a toilet? (laughs) Next, on Six Head World. (laughs) I think about it like once a day. Oh my god. That's funny.
4: The other social and political commentary that kept coming up in Daria that I thought was really important was the fact that Daria was not afraid to talk about racism, tokenism, and, dare I say, intersectionality on the show. Which was well before you know, the popularity of such a concept. And Bridget, you've told me in the past that Jody was a big inspiration for you growing up, right?
3: Totally. I mean, if you click through my Facebook profile pictures, for a long time, I had a picture of Jodi as my picture because I identified with her so much. I mean, frankly, Jodi never got enough screen time for me, but she did have a really, really good storyline. Like, you saw her parents, you saw her boyfriend, who was also Black, his name was Mac, he was on the football team. You know, I grew up feeling a lot like Jody, her character was someone who often felt pressure to sort of be, as she calls, like, I mean, this is me quoting Jodi, quote, the perfect negress. So the, someone, the person who does all the activities, gets great grades, is a great representation of their race, really fits in in their high school. And so that was something I felt a lot of pressure to do as well. And I think the show was so ahead of its time to show this for what it was, right? This wasn't just a Black girl on the show who you never saw her family life, you never saw the pressures that she dealt with. Certainly she should have had more screen time, but they did give her very, very serious subject matter. I remember one of my favorite jokes from the show is that so her their school is mostly white, but every year Jody and her boyfriend Mac win prom king and queen, mm-hmm. and it's clearly just because the school wants to look diverse. And Jody's great line is, <laughs> "Hey, we may be tokens, but at least we're good-looking tokens."
4: <laughs> it was sort of like the result of white guilt in the high school election arena.
3: Exactly, but I mean, a cartoon in the '90s mm-hmm. dealing with white guilt. Come on, that's, that's amazing. Pretty awesome.
4: Yeah. And you know what, for you're not the only amazing woman of color behind a podcasting mic who is clearly inspired by Jody and by Daria, writ large. Our pal from WNYC's Two Dope Queens, the one and only Phoebe Robinson. Friend of the show, or at least we like to think. In my head. Friend of of me in my head. I have an entire backstory where we're BFFs just in my own mind. (laughs) Well, we're big fans. So Phoebe, if you're listening, uh, call us. Let's hang. She runs an awesome website called... Gloria, as in Black Daria, and on her incredible site, she writes about how Jodi really struck a chord with Black women. She writes, quote, a show in the 90s was able to understand that even though Jody and Daria are similar in a lot of ways, they're different because of race, and as a result, Jodi has a much different view of the world, and the world has a much different view of her. That, my friends, in a nutshell, is the intersectionality experience, and the fact that Daria got it was certainly not expected at the time it was undoubtedly welcomed by a legion of black women who watched the show her experience was my experience her fears were mine
3: And that's exactly why this show, I think, is so amazing, because it didn't shy away from these heavy topics like intersectionality and tokenism and race. And I can't think of that many cartoons that were really doing that in the 90s. And they were
4: daring to be sarcastic about it. Right. Which is
3: bold. Exactly, exactly. And I think that the relationship between Jodi and Daria, Jodi is really able to make Daria kind of check her white girl privilege in a lot of ways, because Daria is this person who seemingly doesn't want to engage, is a little bit of an outsider, but... Jodi really doesn't have a choice in the matter because she's a black woman. And so they both occupy very different spaces as women in this high school. And I think it's clear that their experiences as white women and black women mean that they're going to have different understandings of how that all works and navigate that in very different ways. And I think you see Jodi really grappling what that looks like as a Black woman, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Jody comes from an upper-middle-class family. Jody's parents are very successful. Jody's family wants her to be successful. And you see her trying to navigate where she can use her class privilege as someone who has an upper-middle-class background, bumping up against her own principles and her own ideals and sort of how to navigate that.
4: Yeah, it was a complex character in a world that was too simple on TV. Exactly. Did and, you identify with Jody?
3: Oh, so <laughs> much. Also, Jody was someone who did every extracurricular activity, yeah. and that was a, a little bit of me. Yeah. I did, like, all the things, and so I definitely... I never you met. weren't a-,
4: a Susie high school though. I
3: wasn't a Susie high school, but I never met an extracurricular I didn't love. So right, right. Always, including always.
4: photography in the gym. Apparently. Exactly, gym <laughs> photography.
3: Um, so I think when it comes to Jody and Daria navigating this landscape, there's one episode that I think really, really crystallizes that for me, and it's called the Prize Fight.
4: I think this is an interesting example because it shows how the Show didn't just tackle race, it also intersected with class in a really smart and nuanced way. Exactly.
3: So basically in this episode, Jody, Daria, and Jane are all thinking about college and Jody and Daria both apply for the scholarship by an organization called the Wizard Corporation. And they're supposed to be just an evil corporation like insert big evil conglomerate here. Yeah. And Daria ends up writing this great biting essay critiquing capitalism that goes a little something like
2: this. In sum, my world would be made fair through the simple step of eliminating all money. Politicians could serve the people they represent instead of the ones paying for their attack ads. CEOs could stop fouling the planet and cheating their workers just to keep their stock prices pumped. And, of course, promising young students such as myself could actually study instead of spending their time groveling in scholarship essays. Dang! That is no joke!
3: Yeah, she was (laughs) getting really, really real. But here's where this episode, I think, goes from good to great. So basically, even though she writes this great essay... Her own principles really come into play. She realizes that even though she kind of made a mockery of the whole scholarship contest, she actually kind of wants to get this scholarship,
4: right? So sort of like she's tormented between she wants to critique the evil nature of this organization, who she and Jody agree are just really doing this scholarship to look good, right? It's like they're not—they don't really care about empowering women or diversity, but they also want their money. So Daria's, like, struggling between, yes, I really do want that scholarship, but I'd rather take down this organization than get it.
3: Exactly. Later in the episode, it's revealed by Daria's boyfriend, Tom, that this organization has abysmal hiring practices. They don't promote women. They don't promote people of color. And, in fact, probably would rather not hire people of color altogether. So Daria tells Jody this, thinking, oh, of course, Jody's going to drop out. She'll want nothing (laughs) to do with this. But then it's Jody's dad who says... Did it ever occur to you that maybe having a black woman win this scholarship could be a progressive win? And Daria is so sort
4: of tips the scale in the favor of good
3: versus evil.
4: Even though the company's just doing this to look good, take it, girl, right?
0: Like exactly, take it, right? But
3: again, that's the dilemma, yeah. right? So if you if you're Jody, if you're a black woman and you're like, hmm, this company is kind of racist and kind of sexist, I want their money. I could maybe even frame me getting this money as a win for progressivism, maybe. But you can sort of see how they're grappling with these issues of being an anti-racist and a a feminist in real time in ways that we all sort of have to do.
4: Not to mention the class component here, in that Jane was on her own in sort of this application process and going for the scholarship as a woman who doesn't come from a lot of means. Whereas Daria and Jody were both able to hire a scholarship coach to help them come up with the perfect... You know, way to talk their way into this scholarship.
3: Again, you have such a nuanced and authentic <laughs> version of, of how class and race all intersect in this college scholarship experience, and in a way that I think most high school shows just were not showing at the time. Totally. So what ends up happening is that they all go to this interview process. Jane is just excluded. She doesn't even get the chance to do this. Um, to,
4: to get to the interview stage? She doesn't
3: even, yeah. She's not even mm-hmm. in the running. Daria and Jodi are in the same interview uh, alongside their friend, Upchuck, who is just sort of this like throwaway character who's <laughs> hilarious but awful, and Jody ends up deciding to just play the game. Right? She's got Homegirls got her twists pulled up. She's <laughs> wearing like a pink suit. She gives all the right answers. At one point in the interview,
4: the scholarship committee asks Jody, "So, what's your biggest weakness?"
3: Well. I'd have to say it's that I care too much, and sometimes I work too hard, and I don't stop to smell the roses. Like, Homegirl gives the best answers. She talks about how she wants to use this scholarship to uplift other people of color, how she's so, so grateful that this organization cares so much about diversity and, you know, championing women and people of color, even though she knows that's BS. Mm. She totally, totally plays the game. And you know what? It doesn't work. She doesn't get the scholarship. Meanwhile... Daria decides she's going to tell it like it is. She's going to say, listen, I know this company doesn't care about women, doesn't care about people of color. Clearly, none of us are going to get this scholarship, so why even waste our time? And I think you really see both characters trying to figure out what it means to play the game.
4: And it's like moral quandary that they're faced with, which is like, do I do what's best for me? Do I take a principled stand? Which does feel very 90s, doesn't it? Like early activism.
3: It does. And in the end, what I think is so great about how this episode ends, it's a nuanced and complicated one. All of the girls realize that they actually did want this scholarship and they're bummed they didn't get it. And Daria has to ask herself, what does this mean? Does this mean that I'm a sellout? Does this mean I don't actually have anti-racist feminist ideals? Or is this just part of growing up? Is maturing realizing that things aren't black and white and sometimes you have to compromise your morals to do what's best for you?
0: And, and the was, show ends there. <laughs> yeah, there, there's no resolution. You're like, ah, uh,
3: yeah. I mean, weird. It's, The ending is so bittersweet because you're. I mean, this is the same stuff I think a lot of us grapple with.
4: Well, it, it. I don't. I hate to go back to grunge all the time, but it does remind me of like a a chord. What is that called? Like a minor chord or whatever that a lot of those songs kind of oh. end with, like you know, unplugging the amp at the end of the song, like that. That sort of lack of an ending that that discomfort at the end like this is unresolved it just felt like very quintessential 90s and there were lots of us who were making tough calls about doing what's best for you and like oh shoot like doing what's best for the world and we were starting to really have to confront the difference between those two things
3: exactly this is what I deal with All the time. I think as feminists, as anti-racists, as people who have principles and ideals and values, it often means looking at what they mean in the real world. How do you actually put them into practice? And I think Daria gave us this great model, great in that it was unresolved. It's something that we're always figuring it out. Daria and her friends didn't figure it out. They didn't have the perfect answers. They were all willing to take this you know, racist corporation's money if it meant they were going to have money for school. I mean, go back and watch this episode. It really... Just, I had no idea, even though I loved Daria, I had no idea how nuanced and complex and really mature and grown up this show was. I mean, the show was wasted on me when I was, like, 16. Yeah, same. I was just thinking that, like, all of this would have flown right above my head, but... It definitely did. I mean, I walked away from that episode thinking... Daria stuck it to the man. I saw, mm-hmm. I saw none of this gray area, none of this kind of moral ambiguity in the show. When I was sixteen, I was like, Daria gave a, spe- a rad speech and stuck it to the man. Yeah,
4: and then we were like, I found myself applying to scholarship funds of like right wing religious organizations, some of whom did fund my education or pay for my books. And but, la- years later, I was like, really? Wait, whose idea was this? Like, how did my hyper-liberal Jewish father get on board with, like, certain historically, like, Catholic organizations funding my scholarship? You know? A uh, little well,
3: thing called, they got bills to yeah, pay. Cash yeah,
4: cash money. Yeah, because sometimes, it's true. I mean,
3: yeah, it's, it, it's, it's real. It's it very, real. very real. And I think, At the end of the day, that's what makes Daria so special, is that it's real, it's authentic.
4: And it's imperfect, and it's sort of confusing, and they didn't try to wrap it all up with a nice bow. So neither will we, Sminty listeners. We're going to leave you hanging in the world of apathy and discordant conclusions here like do we love daria i don't know man what do you think
3: <laughs> you sounded like so that was very a very good 90s slacker like you sounded like thurston moore from sonic youth like <laughs> i don't know man i'm just uh i'm just trying to i get don't know back. yeah
4: that's right i don't know what is right what is wrong
3: i mean what is anything right.
4: bruh <laughs> it's funny how like there's a lot of male ness to that Man. You know what I mean? Yeah. I
3: I definitely, this is going on a tangent, but I definitely talk in that way sometimes. And it's a lot of dude, man, bruh, bro.
4: I also say girl a lot, but we should come back to a phonetics episode about that. Yeah, girl. It's always like an affirmative.
3: Yeah. Nah, bruh. And where does that leave our gender nonconforming friends? Think about that.
4: Yeah. Oh, damn. That is some cis. Centric vernacular. It's See, definite- we promised
3: you we'd leave you with a discordant <laughs> ending.
4: <laughs> Here we are delivering on that. So, what do y'all think of Daria? Let us know.
3: Let us know what your thoughts are on Daria. Was this deadpan icon of the 90s someone that you looked up to? <laughs> Did you watch the show? Why or why not? You can hit us up on Instagram, tag us in all those great Daria Halloween costumes at Stuff Mom Never Told You. Get at us on Twitter at Mom Stuff podcast. Or a good old fashioned email at momstuff at howstuffworks.com.
1: So here's something that some of you might find shocking.